a Pearson Harnish, but a huge third down conversion. You got the game on? Yep. On the move, down to the 24-yard line of St. Francis. Who's winning? He, he won't say the score. Laid up and waited for the pass. Short drop Come out on, of the gun. who's winning? Rifles towards the right corner, complete to Vander Cooey, who steps across the plane. Ah, say the damn score. You're listening to the original Say the Damn Score podcast, part of the Say the Damn Score podcast network. Here's your host, Logan Anderson. Welcome to episode 111 of the Say the Damn Score podcast. As you just heard the big voice guy say, I'm Logan Anderson, a freelance sportscaster in the Twin Cities metro area. As always, this podcast is dedicated to sportscasting and sharing stories and ways to improve in the business by talking to sportscasters from all over the country. If you're a fan of the show, please subscribe to the podcast on the app of your choice and share the podcast with your friends on your favorite social media outlet. The Say the Damn Score podcast is presented by Schold Media Group, the best place online to connect and learn from other young media professionals. Grow your career through their engaging content, demo reel critique services, job placement programs, and much more. Find them at SholdMediaGroup.com. That's S-H-O-L-D MediaGroup.com. This week, we're recording from the world-famous Say the Damn Score studio, a.k.a. the spare bedroom in my townhouse in Burnsville, Minnesota. I've had a pretty good run of big-name guests over the last several episodes, but it's always been a goal of mine to not just talk to the big names in the business. I definitely want to talk to them, but not exclusively. I really like to visit with up-and-coming broadcasters with great talent who maybe just haven't gotten the break that they need to really get into that upper crust yet. Brendan Gulick is a freelance broadcaster from Cleveland, Ohio, and he fits that description to a T. He made a short appearance on this podcast in May 2018 on episode 64 when I produced an episode where I visited with several different people about making the decision to move to the Twin Cities to be a freelancer. Brendan was helpful in that process, and he is the ultimate example of a freelancer. He does non-revenue sports for Ohio State on Big Ten Network Plus. He does Pit Panther Baseball on ACC Network Extra. He does numerous NCAA Division II and Division III championship tournaments and championship games. He does sports updates for local radio stations in the Cleveland market. And you name it, he probably does it. So we'll start off this way with Brendan, who I've been trying to get on this podcast for quite some time to tell his complete story. And we'll start by asking him, if somebody asks you what your job is, Brendan, what's your answer? <laughs> Typically, my answer is I'm a gun for hire. You know, I'm I'm a freelancer, right? So I guess that means you just go wherever uh, wherever you can find work. And there are times a year where that's uh, a little more prevalent, and there are times a year where you know it's a little, little more challenging. A lot of the work is built around the academic calendar, right? So you've got generally a lot more going on in late August through early to mid-May, where you know June and July and most of August uh, are a little lighter. And so I pick up some uh, some soccer work there. But I did what a lot of guys uh, try to do when they first get rolling in this, and you just say yes to whatever you can say yes to. I moved eight times in four years and 
worked for a couple different colleges and a couple different minor league baseball teams. Um, I, I moved to small town Oklahoma and, you know, got got some good post-college experience there and just kind of kept on taking opportunities along the way. And, you know, I, I try to think of myself as someone that, you know, certainly makes his career in, in play-by-play, but I've tried to be flexible to do lots of different things. And, you know, whether that's radio versus TV, whether it's an internet webcast, whether it's doing an interview or uh, calling a game or hosting a talk show or giving sports anchor updates, you know, a lot of different ways to piece all things together. So I know it's a long, complicated answer, but um, <laughs> kind of describes my life. <laughs> Brendan Gulick, gun for hire. That's what yeah, we're going to go with yeah. uh, when we put it on the the headline when we get everything <laughs> going. But I want to start early on in your career because we've met each other. We've hung out several times, so we know each other pretty well. This is a little bit different than some of the other podcasts, but I still tried to do a little bit of research on you. I didn't know that your high school, actually, you helped to start a broadcasting club yeah. that has actually led to a pretty good lineage of people making it in the sports casting industry. And it all started because you got mono your junior year and couldn't make the baseball team with mono. So <laughs> your homework. So yeah, I know every now and then if you could go back in time and talk to junior and high school, Brendan Gulick, who was probably really upset that he didn't make the baseball team because he got sick. What would you tell him? <laughs> well, I've never really thought about it that way. You know, it's funny. I, I tend not to think about things in a past mindset for good or for bad reasons because you literally can't do anything about it, right? You either make good decisions and you learn from it or you make bad decisions and you hopefully learn from it or things happen to you and you hopefully learn from it. Um, I guess I would tell him that that spring, because I couldn't play baseball, uh, I got a job at a golf course. And that kind of sparked my love for golf. So that's okay. <laughs> but you're right, man. I was crushed. I hated the fact that I didn't play that spring. You know, I, uh, I went to high school at a place that is very meaningful to me and pretty meaningful to my family. It's a, it's a, a Catholic Jesuit all-boys high school in Cleveland. Uh, and I had an unbelievably good experience uh, at, at Ignatius. And, and there's a lot of really good people that I've you know, met after high school that are uh, alums. It's it's a pretty tight circle uh, in greater Cleveland of, of folks that went to Ignatius or uh, a couple of the other schools here. And, uh, you know, for a long time as a kid, I wanted to play baseball. That was, that was my thing. I mean, man, you grew up in Cleveland in the 90s, baseball grabs you. You know, you if you don't like baseball watching Omar Vizquel and Manny Ramirez and Kenny Lofton and right on down the line, then you're not paying attention. <laughs> So, you know, being a baseball player for a long time was my my dream, my passion. And, you know, I, I listen to some other guys that talk about, you know, when they were younger and say, oh, I used to call my video games or I would take jump shots in the driveway and, you know, pretend that I was calling those. I might have done that. But, man, I don't I don't have any like super distinct memories of, of necessarily doing it that way. It was just it had a lot to do with the fact that I went to a school where uh, football in particular was a huge deal. St. Ignatius has won more football state championships at the big school level in the state of Ohio than any other school. And Ignatius alumni certainly are around Cleveland, but 
spread throughout the country and, and throughout the world. And so I figured, look, you know, it's t- at that point, uh, it was 2007. Yeah, 2007. You know, the technology for web streaming was just barely starting to come around. And I sort of thought to myself, man, I, I, I think it'd be really cool to be able to share these games with uh, our alums. And there's enough of an alumni base with St. Ignatius that I think people would pay attention to it if, if we let them know it was available. And, man, we were doing this super basic um, audio stream online. Like you would you would punch in a phone number you'd you dial like a six digit pin and hit pound and then hit one and you'd hear a beep and your stream was live like it was it was so basic and when your stream or when you were done with your game you'd hang up the phone call back in put your pin back in hit pound and hit two and your stream would be killed like it was just it was it was the most basic thing possible but it worked and i guess when i think back on it you know it gave me a chance to to call two basketball seasons and a football season between my junior and senior year of high school where I, you know, I did 50 games or whatever the number was and kind of had this itch, uh, where I was having a ton of fun. And I mean, look, man, I was a high school kid, but, uh, I enjoyed it and people didn't tell me, wow, you really suck. You should, you know, (laughs) go get him kid. Like, (laughs) you know, there were people were encouraging or whatever. So I figured, look, I'm going to go to school somewhere where I can do this and either one, I'm going to have fun and it's going to be a hobby and it'll be great. Uh, or two, maybe I try to make a career out of it. And so I chose to go to John Carroll in Cleveland where uh, I could get on the air quickly and just get reps because I knew I needed to do it. It's like anything else in life. You want to be good at something, you got to do it. So that, that's kind of the long and short of the, you know, of the high school part of it. Um, I had uh, an athletic director and at the time assistant AD now the athletic director who was super supportive of this group and this idea, a guy that uh, used to do some college radio down at Rollins college in Florida uh, worked for the school. And he said, Hey, yeah, I can, you know, I can help you guys figure some of this stuff out. Just sort of a, uh, an advisor to the club, if you will. Um, and my hope was that when I graduated, there'd be a couple of other guys behind me that, you know, might also enjoy this and, and, you know, would want to continue to do it, uh, once I left. And at that point I had no idea that, uh, it would turn into this feeder system the way it has, but, uh, yeah, it's pretty cool. Uh, but man, specifically my junior year when I, when I didn't make that baseball team after playing really well as a freshman and a sophomore, uh, I was crushed, but I got a job at a golf course and I love golf now. So it's all good. <laughs> That's a good question, man. I've never been asked that before. I like that. That's why they pay me the big bucks to big post bucks. this uh, podcast that I do for free. But uh, <laughs> you know, looking on top of that, some of the people who have come out of that same program that really started—I don't know if it was because of you or if it just happened to start at the same time you were there—but I read these names and I forgot to write them down, but. Uh, just tell us who Mike, are some of the big Mike names Watts that have come out John of it. John Fanta are probably the first two that you read. Correct. And what does it mean to you to have that lineage from something that you started? Yeah, it's it's cool. Um, you know, again, I just sort of hope that because I, I love Ignatius and I love Cleveland, and I know there's a lot of people in our community that feel connected to that to that school. Um, I, I just hope that 
it wouldn't fall flat on its face is really, you know, I, I don't, I never expected that other guys were going to do it and necessarily turn it into their careers. Um, but I'm thrilled that they have. And it, it clearly shows yet again, uh, an example of something at Ignatius where there wasn't something there and a student came forward and said, Hey, here's an idea. I think I'd like to do this. And the school said, yeah, okay, let's figure it out. We'll support you and let's figure out how to do it. You know, it wasn't some astronomically expensive endeavor. It just took a little bit of manpower from some adults, um, you know, working with high school guys that needed to figure it out a little bit. And there's no way I would have done it alone at all. I mean, there's, there's just no way it would have come together. Um, but, you know, being able to follow Mike Watts and John Fanta, um, John and I are, are definitely friends. Mike and I are very close friends and following their careers. So I, I was a 2009 graduate. Mike graduated in 2011. And John, I'm pretty sure was 2013. I think we were all spaced apart by two years. Um, so I knew more uh, of John and then sort of interacted with him more basically once he went to Seton Hall, because when I graduated from Ignatius, that was his incoming freshman year. But Mike and I overlapped for two years. Uh, and have become and stayed very, very good friends. He's, he's truly one of my closest confidants. Um, you know, <laughs> Mike's doing a boatload of national work. Um, he's been the national voice for the United Soccer League, and he does a lot of work on ESPN. He's done a bunch of domestic and international soccer games, um, a lot of college soccer on, on SEC Network, um, he's done a lot of football and basketball. Uh, he went to Fordham, which is a terrific broadcast school. Um, you know, Mike's Mike is a superstar in the making. He, and now he's the uh, preseason TV play-by-play voice for the Cincinnati Bengals for the last couple of years. Um, and John Fanta went to Seton Hall. Uh, and like John typically does, just threw himself into his work and uh, knew that he needed reps and – John is one of the most genuine people you're going to meet. He, he works really, really hard. I don't think anybody has ever heard John Fanta say a bad thing about somebody. And the Big East loved him and gave him an opportunity to basically start as a, as a digital correspondent. And they've sort of launched this program covering their Big East men's basketball. Uh, and it's evolved into a few different things. And, you know, John has done some games on, on uh, FS2. I can't remember if he's done them on, on FS1 or not, but, um, you know, definitely does some play-by-play. But he's, I mean, he is on site covering some of the biggest college basketball games in the country every week. And and he does a number of other sports too, but that's kind of his bread and butter stuff. But yeah, just to, you know, to see a couple of other guys that are, that are pursuing this the same way is really rewarding. And, um, you know, there's a number of other guys that went through the program that maybe haven't taken it quite to that level, but have just enjoyed themselves and had fun. And, you know, it was a way for them to be involved at, at St. Ignatius in their athletics department. It's, it's a it's a really cool thing. And, you know, I do take pride in the fact that I started it. But, man, if you would have known what we were doing in 2007 and in 2008 and you look at what they're doing now, it's it's almost unrecognizable. Like they, <laughs> they have so much more technology they have so many more kids that have taken on different roles and different positions. It's evolved into something really, really cool um, that I did not have the foresight for. I just hope people would want to do it. Uh, but I'm, I'm thrilled that, uh, that you know, they continue to want to do that kind of stuff. When's the last time you heard one of those tapes? From when I was down there? 
Yes. Do you still um, have them? I I think I have one. I'd have to uh, try to track it down. Uh, uh, I actually think it was the very first game I ever did, and uh, it wasn't good, but it wasn't horrendous. <laughs> I didn't say the time and score enough. Say the damn score. You know, come on, sixteen-year-old kid, don't you know? <laughs> um, yeah, you know, it, was, it, uh, it 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 wasn't it wasn't horrendous, but I do I do listen back and I'm like, well, yeah, you're right, Brendan. You needed a lot of reps. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's enough high school talk. Uh, that's not what I had you for. It was interesting that I dug up that tidbit. I thought it was worth touching on, but yeah, that's cool. You mentioned that you moved eight times in four years. Obviously, you're not putting down a lot of roots at that point. What makes you decide potentially to chase a different opportunity instead of staying and getting reps where you're at and you're in your comfort zone a little bit? Uh, a lot of it was, was kind of decided for me. It was sort of the nature of the gigs, right? Um, you know, a lot of it was just seasonal work it was, uh, you know, you, Hey, come, come be the number two guy for this minor league baseball team and, and be here a year and then move on to the next thing. Um, or, you know, it was extremely part-time work. Um, and I was trying to, trying to get a little bit bigger opportunity, a little bit better opportunity, you know, I, I just tried to do what made sense. So when I, when I was coming out of college, I needed a job. So I moved to Rockford, Illinois and did Rockford aviators baseball as a number two guy, where I made a grand total of $100 every two weeks, but lived with the guy that I broadcast games with. who was only a couple years older than me. I crashed at his place. I was only there for a couple of months and a full-time gig opened in Durant, Oklahoma to do college football and college basketball. Um, long story short, I, I went and I was down there for something in the ballpark of six or seven months um, to say full time. I mean, it was, it's not full time, I guess, in the way that everybody else thought about it. It was, it was more stable than a minor league baseball job. Um, but, you know, I kind of had a hunch I wasn't going to be there super long term, a um, couple years at most. And the way things turned out, I, I sort of got a dose of reality. My my job with the radio station was not primarily doing play-by-play. I was doing traffic and billing, uh, ironically, for a local TV station that outsourced their traffic and billing department to the radio station. And to make a long, complicated story short, that contract after 25 years was not renewed. So I was out of a job, and I moved back home. Um, and fairly quickly got a job with the, the Dayton Dragons. And so two months later, moved to Dayton and in minor league baseball in the red system for six months and uh, came back home and continued to work for some local schools uh, and was only home for maybe two months. And a job opened in Cincinnati. And I moved to Cincinnati to do basketball and baseball for the Bearcats. And I was there for 12 months. Um, but you know, worked a number of different part-time jobs in a, in addition to calling games for the Bearcats. And in November of 2015, yeah, November of 2015, job opened up in, uh, in Maryland uh, to do play-by-play for Maryland Eastern Shore, men's and women's basketball, and Delmarva Shorebirds minor league baseball. It was a really interesting setup because you had to be hired separately by both places, but folks with both organizations sort of moonlighted in their off seasons 
at the other one. So there was some, some working relationship there. And I went out there for a year and, and did some college basketball at, at the division one level and was the number one guy for, for the Orioles class A team and came back home and in, in, uh, I guess it would have been right around Labor Day in 2016. And I've just sort of used Cleveland as my home base. Um, you know, I built a lot of relationships along the way and kept in touch with people. And so that's fortunately turned into some work, but I, I've been able to sort of use Cleveland as home. Um, I felt like I needed that couple years for lack of a better way to say it. It was almost like my master's degree. You know, I, that was my investing in my career. So I did that and, and thankfully haven't had to move since, but, um, have also gotten some cool opportunities. So I'm, I'm enjoying it. And we'll get more into those other opportunities later, but I just want to backtrack a little bit. Actually, I want to go back to your Southeast Oklahoma State University position and, graduating from John Carroll in Ohio. How did you find a job in Oklahoma? Is it a networking connection you made? Was it just a blind application? How did that process go? So first of all, how did you get it? Give us a fun story from it. Uh, do you have any, uh, do you have any, uh, no free plug policy on your, on your podcast? No, do whatever you want. (laughs) All right. Well, perfect. Uh, the answer was STAA. Uh, it was it was a job lead that came through uh, through John Chelesnick's company, the Sportscasters Talent Agency of America. You know, I just I came across a job lead email, and I, I was obviously in a position where I was getting some reps as a baseball guy, but needed to figure something out. And when that came up, and I saw the chance to work for a radio station and, and do some college games, you know, I, I kind of got the advice that you're too young when you get out of school, you're too young to make a mistake that's going to cost you your career with the exception of very, very limited, few awful, terrible mistakes. So you have the ability, the flexibility to go. So I took a chance, you know, if you're not going to bet on yourself, then you can't expect anybody else to bet on you. Right. You know, I I saw the job lead email and to show that I really wanted it, flew myself to Oklahoma and I had a cousin that lived in Oklahoma city and I stayed at their house for a night and got up the next morning. And uh, I mean, I had told the, you know, the guy down there in an email that I was going to come. And I realized that, you know, I said, look, I'm not asking you to pay my ticket down. I just I want you to know this is important to me and I want this job. And I'd like to come introduce myself to you in person. And it almost didn't work. Came down to me and one other guy and they offered it to the other guy. And he said, no, thank you. And so I was their plan B. And uh, it worked out fine for for a few months till, till that other contract fell through. Um, but yeah, man, it was, it was a very different experience than living in Cleveland, Ohio or, or, you know, the experience I had growing up, that's for sure. Uh, but it, it came about cause I saw an email and decided I wanted to make the best impression I could. So I, you know, uh, put my work on a CD at that point, which now is hilarious to think about. Um, <laughs> and, uh, printed a resume off and, and put it in a nice folder and hand delivered it. So you just went and bought a ticket. Uh, did you have a meeting set up with him, or did you just hope you could get one when you got there if you were there? <laughs> I told the guy that I was, uh, uh, you know, I was serious about the job, and basically said something effective. Uh, I'd like to introduce myself to you in person. I've got some family that's not too far away, and and frankly, I don't even remember if I said I was going to be in town or if I just went. But um, I told him I was going to plan to stop by the station on on. I don't know, it was like a Thursday morning or something. And he said, okay, I'm in by nine. And that was that. 
What would you have done if he wasn't there? Uh, well, I certainly would have left the application. Um, you know, I probably would have asked the receptionist if he was going to return anytime soon. <laughs> Uh, but you know, it's sometimes, man, you got to have a little blind faith and take a chance. And, uh, if it didn't work, uh, I'd still be laughing about it now, but it worked and I'm still laughing about it because it was kind of ridiculous. So (laughs) (laughs) the other one I wanted to touch on was your time as Cincinnati as the baseball and women's basketball broadcaster. And one of the frequent patterns that I see with a lot of people who move up through the industry is that if you get those women's basketball jobs at prominent universities, they can kind of be the back door, the side door into other really good positions. And sure, I don't know much about Maryland East Shore and the Delmarva Shorebirds, but what, what was it hard to leave that position to take that, knowing that you were in a spot where you were getting some pretty good exposure? Yeah, that's a great question. I didn't necessarily have that thought process for one very specific reason. I had basically six months of broadcast related work at Cincinnati. You know, the the women's basketball season starts in November and the baseball season ends in May. And then I had six months of working odd jobs and living in Cincinnati. And it was a fun summer, but I'm not sure that summer I did much to further my career. The job in Maryland was 200 games. It was... 140 minor league baseball games with no analyst where you're the guy. Um, and I had done a couple of seasons of, of minor league ball where I was a number two, but was waiting for a chance to run my own media relations department and, and, you know, do 140 games and do all the travel and ride the buses and all that stuff. Um, and on top of that, it was division one men's basketball was the priority, even though I would also call the women's games when they had double headers and I realized Cincinnati is a far bigger school and a far bigger brand than um, Maryland Eastern Shore is. But, um, you know, the, the money that I was making from Cincinnati was – I, I, I had to work a whole bunch of other side jobs to pull it together where Maryland Eastern Shore and the Shorebirds are basically pitching me, you know, 10-ish months of work, 11 months of work. Um so I totally understand your question, and I probably uh, probably can see why people would think about it that way. But just it's just kind of the circumstance. Um, I love Cincinnati. Even today, uh, I, 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 I talk about Cincinnati a lot. I had a great experience down there, really enjoyed it. Um, it was difficult to leave because it was a place I liked. Uh, and frankly, one of the you know one of the guys I really started to look up to beginning at that time was Dan Horde, who's their play-by-play announcer for, for the Bearcats and for the Bengals. Um, you know, it was at at that point that we really met and he became a mentor of mine. Um, and I have an unbelievable amount of respect for Dan, but I also didn't think Dan was going to be leaving anytime soon because he's really good. So the only way Dan's leaving Cincinnati is if he's leaving on his own accord and that could have happened, but you can't really predict that. Right. So I, I saw an opportunity to do D one men's basketball and to be a minor league baseball full-time or full season play-by-play guy. And, and I took it. That was really, that was the decision behind it. What other side jobs and part-time jobs did you do? <laughs> oh my goodness. Uh, well, the, the two biggest ones um, I worked for Panera uh, in their catering department. And there were days where I had to be at work at four 30 
so that I could do breakfast deliveries. Um, the nights that were really short or really long, depending on how you look at it, were the nights where I also closed a bar at two thirty. <laughs> Um, so I had some more sleep in the afternoons than I did at night sometimes, but, um, you know, I, I needed two jobs that were going to give me flexibility to tell them when I could and couldn't work. And, you know, as I went through the, whatever you want to call it, the interview process for getting a part-time job at Panera at a local hole in the wall bar, um, (laughs) I told them, I said, look, I've got kind of a crazy schedule. I'd like to work as many hours as I can, but I need you to be flexible with me if this is going to work. And thankfully they both said, yeah, that's fine. So those were the those were the two big ones. Um, I mean, I was working pretty close to forty hours a week between the two, um, but not quite. At what point in your career does it become more about? I don't even want to say more about, but does the consideration of how much money you're making and what your lifestyle is going to be like start to become more of an important consideration when you're deciding to take a job or not? Because uh, when you're young, we've all been there. Right now, I'm still there, and I'm in my mid-30s working a part-time job and trying to run my own streaming business. And <laughs> it's, uh, right now, to be totally honest, I am really carried by my wife who makes a teacher's salary. So it makes it, uh, we're not living a glamorous lifestyle by any sense of the imagination. But if I pick something, I don't think I could do anything at this point where I make less. And it's just one of those things where, balancing the opportunity and what the compensation is changes as you get older. Where are you at right now? Kind of, kind of in the same boat of, you know, you're always thinking about, okay, uh, is this worth my time and how much is my time worth? Um, what other costs are you willing to minimize? I mean, everybody sort of has different, different things they're willing to sacrifice. Um, you know, I, I'm not married. I don't have kids. I don't have a house payment. I, you know, I don't have a mortgage. Um, I, I have a car payment. You know, you pay your car, you pay your car insurance, you pay your cell phone, you, you pay your utilities and whatnot. But, um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's times where, you know, you sit there and you think to yourself, gee, I mean, how long do you want to go before you start thinking, uh, okay, uh, you know, I don't have a 401k or a retirement plan the same way a lot of other people my age do, but I love what I do. And I, in full transparency, I, I don't have a plan B. Uh, my plan B is plan A. I'll figure out how to make it work. And I think that's part of the reason why I've been able to continue to find things. Um, you know, I take pride in the fact that I work really hard and I, choose to believe that everything happens for a reason. And, you know, if, if you control your attitude and you control your work ethic and you're doing all of the right things off the air, I believe there's enough work in this industry for everybody that really wants to do it. Um, the question is how bad do you want it? What are you willing to do that other people aren't willing to do? So, you know, that's where I've had to keep pulling myself back to is like, okay, you know, what are you willing to sacrifice here? You know, it's, it's, it's tough. There are definitely things you have to, you have to sacrifice on, but, um, I have become financially a heck of a lot smarter when it comes to running my own business because the, the vast majority of my income is 1099, you know, I'm an independent contractor. So that means I can write off certain things on taxes and, um, you know, I've, I've done as much work as I can to educate myself on, 
you know, how that all works and don't break the law, but use the rules to your benefit as much as you can, because that's what they're there for. So yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's definitely a challenge, but, um, I'm not at the point in my life where I'm sitting there saying, okay, it's time to do something else. I, I've never even contemplated what that would be like. I just got my uh, first tax business bill without uh, having a an employer-controlled job, and it was a little bit of a shocking moment. I'm not going to lie to you. Yeah. yeah it's, uh, the things you don't think about when no, you're employed by a radio station. Yeah, no doubt about it. Let's move on to where you went with when you went to Salisbury, Maryland to work for Maryland Eastern Shore and the Delmarva Shorebirds. You were there, I think, for just a year. Yep. They, you had a lot of work there, and you eventually decide to make the leap to move back to Cleveland, make it your home base, and pursue that freelance lifestyle. Uh, what went into that decision? Uh, I was told I was making that decision. <laughs> Fair enough. Sometimes it's easy, uh, right? Yeah. You know, Maryland Eastern Shore... Um, like a lot of other schools in the country, especially smaller schools, they're, you know, they were struggling financially and they made a whole bunch of changes in their athletic department and they brought someone else in to do the broadcast that was going to do several other things in addition to the on-air work. I, I was bummed, but you know, I get it. I didn't take it personally. And I went back to the shorebirds and said, look, you know, I know we sort of made this hire in tandem with one another. It had to work for both parties, but I'd still like to do your games. I'm not asking you to bring me on full time. If you're willing to let me, uh, you know, sort of figure out my own off season, I'd like to come back next year. And they took probably a week to think about it and basically said, you know, it, it's not a bad idea, but um, you were the first person that we really like worked through this partnership with in more of an official capacity with the university. And we'd like to try to make this work because we think it makes sense from a business perspective. So keep in touch with us. We're going to, we're going to try one more time to use the new guy that they're going to bring in and see if it works. And if it doesn't, you know, we'll, we'll see what we can do. Um, and to my knowledge, he's still there, which good for him. I, still talk to some of the guys in Delmarva and I actually just got to save the date from one of them. Um, you know, I just, I, I had a good experience there. Um, but that was sort of what went into it. You know, it, it was the second time in four years or three years, really, uh, that you, you experience the pretty harsh reality of sometimes when you're an independent contractor, you know, you're, you're typically on the line item in the budget that gets, that's first to go. Uh, so, you know, I, I I never really felt like I had nothing, though. I mean, really, when I came back to Cleveland, I had maintained relationships with a lot of the smaller schools in this area. And that, you know, helped me continue to just do work locally here. And it was once I came home that I started to pick up some additional things. I, I started working for 92.3 The Fan and, and was an update anchor for them. And that's when some of the other stuff took off, too. So, you know, I'm not going to sit there and tell you those were like fun days when you're like, gee, this happened again. And it was no fault of my own. I don't want to say it makes you question your work. It just gives you a really healthy dose of reality of like, hey, man, you know, you did the best you could. And the rug was pulled out from underneath it and there was nothing you could have done about it. So decide if you have the stomach for this or not. And if this is really what you want to do, then sometimes you might have to deal with this stuff. And yeah, it's just sort of what it was. If you were to get someone to offer you a full-time position with that past experience, 
would you take it or would you keep your freelance where if you lose one thing, maybe it's not as devastating? Yeah, no, it's, it's a good, it's a good thought. Um, I have always said that in, you know, the several years now that I've been out of school, almost seven years, my biggest asset for sure has been my flexibility, my ability to go where I have to go to do whatever job it is. Uh, and, and, say yes, because no one else is holding me down to something. Um, so if someone were to offer me a full-time position, of course I'd think about it. Uh, and you got to sit down and decide, okay, whatever the salary is for that full-time job, is it enough to cover whatever I'd have to give up? And in addition, is it worth giving up uh, some chunk of your flexibility? You know, do you have a non-compete you'd have to, to work in there? Uh, there's, there's a lot of things that would go into that factor. So, of course, I would listen to somebody if they wanted to offer me a full-time job. Um, but with what I've been able to experience and with what I've done with my life, uh, I, I'd have to I'd have to really give it some thought. The other side of the coin is, again, I'm not married. I don't have kids. I don't have a mortgage. <laughs> so, like, there there are there are some things that are working in my favor where I have the ability to think that way. If I have two kids who are under the age of 10 and I'm paying for school and a house and, you know, run down the list of things, maybe you're sort of forced into making a different decision. So yeah, um, I value, I cherish my flexibility more than just about anything. Um, but I'm always willing to have a conversation. You have to. We met at the National Sportscaster, at the National Sports Media Association. It wasn't called that then. I don't remember what it was called. It's called the National Sports Media Association now at their big uh, conference and banquet. And I know you go to that just about every year. But one of the things that reading between the lines of finding all these opportunities, you have to be good at building relationships and getting in front of decision makers, for lack of a better word, effectively networking yourself. What are the keys for you to be able to do that in a major market like Cleveland? I think some of it's inherent because I guess I, I'm naturally pretty extroverted. Um, I like people. <laughs> I like learning about people. I like learning what's important to people. I like learning what makes people tick. Um, I like understanding how people might think differently about people. Uh, you know, a, a similar situation. And so, you know, I, I've always tried to go by the mentality that you have two ears and one mouth and you're supposed to use them proportionally, <laughs> uh, which is funny in a business where we make our living with our words. I, I, I like getting to know people. And so a lot of it comes naturally because I just genuinely care, you know, and, and the vast majority of folks that I meet along the way, i you know, I'm not asking for a job from, and frankly, uh, I never ask for a job the first time up front because that's, that, that doesn't seem genuine to me. It's not just about who, you know, it's about how well, you know, who, you know, who's willing to go to bat for you, who's willing to put their reputation on the line for you. And if you just meet somebody once or twice and you don't invest time into building that relationship, then you can't really expect them to put the full weight of their you know, recommendation if you need something behind them. But if you build relationships with people that last for a couple of years and they become in your corner just as much as you're in their corner, you know, I, sometimes those things happen on their own. Some of it goes back to my Jesuit education. You know, the, the idea in 
Jesuit education is to be a man or a woman for others. I try to have a servant mentality. I like helping people. It makes me feel good when I connect other people, when I help people do something. So I just, you know, I, I enjoy meeting folks and it's natural for me to circle back and keep in touch. And, you know, I take notes on recent conversations that we've had. So I have some idea of where to pick up when we left off, but that's really the basis of it, man. I, I think for me, it's a lot of, it's just inherent. I, there's not really a secret formula to it. I, I, I think if you just try to be a good person um, and you don't ask people for impossible favors or, or super challenging favors, certainly don't ask with frequency. Um, the world has a funny way of taking care of you when you take care of the world. So that's, that's kind of how I approach it. You mentioned keeping notes of conversations. Do you actually keep notes of conversations yeah. like on paper or just mental notes? Uh, no, in, in my phone, you know, I, I have an iPhone, right? So you open the contact in your phone and there's a little notes section. I'm not going to tell you I do it for every single conversation, but pretty frequently when I, when I know I'm talking to somebody who I haven't talked to in maybe six months or who I might not circle back with again, you know, other than to just catch up. Um, yeah, I, I'll put in there, you know, two or three quick thoughts of what we talked about and the date that we last talked if there's something notable so that I have some sort of reference point when I come back to it. Absolutely. What notes are in there from uh, my, on my contact list? Well, you and I have never talked about anything notable, so probably Fair enough. It's probably just a blank. Yeah, I'm pretty useless. So <laughs> talk about the value of going to conferences, because I know you believe in it. We've gone to a lot of the same one. I think we have a lot of the same thoughts to me, it's just a great place to do just what you said, to meet people in a low-pressure environment. It, what are your thoughts on going out of your way to go where you can meet people? Uh, it's it's absolutely critical. It's critical for personal development and for professional development. You know, it, that's that's sort of my way that I stay invested in my career. I feel like by doing that kind of thing, by by budgeting for that and saying, look, man, you're going to go to a conference where it's going to cost you a few hundred bucks to, to get into the conference. You got to pay to get there. You got to pay to stay. You're going to have to eat. You know, it might, it might cost you $2,000 by the time it's all done. You're making a worthy investment in it. So you better do the work ahead of time to make sure you have some idea of who's going to be there. Uh, and then just go make the most of, of whatever's there. I, I have been fortunate that I've been able to do it every year, but in some regard, it's because I've made it a priority. You know, I've chosen not to do certain things so that I can go to that kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, you know, and it's not always because I'm looking for access to somebody that's going to hire me. Although sometimes those, those folks are around, but you know, NSMA in particular, I, I've just enjoyed the weekend. You get a bunch of like-minded people who uh, all work in the same industry and have some fun stories uh, and you build relationships with those folks. You just never know when, when it could come back around. So you know, I, I, maybe it's a weird thought, but like, I would hope that anybody in any industry would would think, gee, if there's a a conference or some sort of, you know, uh, some sort of get together for people that are all in our line of work that I, you know, is somewhat regular, I should try to go. I just that seems really logical to me. So that's that's really my thought behind it. And since you don't have any notes on our last conversation, I'm pretty sure. It was actually the last time I called you was probably when we talked about doing play-by-play -play for swimming because <laughs> I had never done it before, and I knew you had yep. done a lot of it. Oh, yeah. 
part of what makes you so good at what you do is that you're really, really versatile. You do a ton of different sports, swimming, field hockey, lacrosse, you name it, you've probably done it. What is the key to learning a new sport, especially one without a ball that doesn't follow maybe the normal patterns that we think of with the mainstream sports? Well, swimming and track are pretty similar to each other, right? I mean, there's no ball, but it's a race. So, you know, it's it's not that difficult. Um, I try, When I'm going to do a sport I haven't done in a while or a sport that's new to me, I mean, I try to spend some time on YouTube first to, to figure out, okay, who calls this sport, who calls it well, and why, and take some notes and identify what I like and what I don't. Um, it's a pretty similar process to, you know, even when you're going back and listening to your own tape or, or when you're critiquing someone else's work, it's like, you know, what, what sounds good and what doesn't, um, you know, most of my work now is at least not necessarily TV, but there's a a video component to it. So it's not like, I haven't done a lot of radio play by play, uh, lately in the last couple of years. So, you know, the basics of television are the same you're adding captions to pictures, you know, I don't need to describe everything, so don't overdo it. And if you're working with an analyst, how do you make your analyst look good? So, you know, this past weekend, I just did a a swim meet in Houston, the the American Athletic Conference. um, And I worked with an analyst who I've never worked with before. Her name was Kristen Keith. She was a a diver at the University of Arkansas. um, And a lot of her career was was based around um, sideline reporting. She did some work for Fox Sports Detroit uh, covered the Pistons and and the Tigers, uh, among other things. Um, But I'd never met her before prior to this weekend. And so a good chunk of our conversations were, okay, you know, what do you like? What don't you like? How can I set you up? What information do you want to bring to the table? You know, give me give me some nuggets that you really want to work in, some stories you want, you know, to to expound on and then follow through on it. Figure out how to put them in the best light, because in television, it's it's an analyst driven medium, you know, as a play by play person on on TV or or an Internet webcast with a video. Um, it's not about you. <laughs> it's it's not about you. It's about your analyst. And so, you know, the basics are always there. But um, in terms of how to call it, you know, a lot of the Olympic sports, um, some of that stuff's available on YouTube. You know, you can find it through. I think NBC does a lot of that stuff You know, with the the Olympics and whatnot. So whether it's volleyball or field hockey or track or swimming, lacrosse, whatever it is, um, that's sort of my process. And, and then certainly if there are other guys or gals that have done it, especially ones that I know personally, I try to reach out to them. And if not, try to identify a couple and make contact somehow and say, hey, you know, this is what I've got coming up. Can I pick your brain on a few things? Tell us about broadcasting a basketball game from an aquatic center. <laughs> Uh, I should have known that was coming. You should have. Uh, yeah, that's that's probably. Uh, well, let's see. Today is uh, today's Tuesday, February twenty fifth. So one week ago today, while getting ready to do the American Athletic Conference Swimming and Diving Championship uh, at the University of Houston, uh, the day before that started on Wednesday the nineteenth, Cincinnati was playing at Houston, and our stuff was all set up in the natatorium. So we did a remote. We just happened to to do the remote from, you know, a quarter of a mile away and happened to do it inside a swimming pool when the basketball arena was on the other side of campus. Uh, But it's 
it's going to make the book someday for sure. That was that was that was a moment you're like, wait, we're doing what? <laughs> was it difficult at all controlling your voice in that type of environment? Because I know usually it's a very echoey environment when you're you know at the natatorium at a pool. You have a remote going from there. Did you have to do anything different as far as actual acoustics go? Yeah, it's uh, it's a it's a reasonable point to bring up. It never ever crossed my mind, never once. The goal is to make it sound and feel as normal as possible at home for the folks that are watching at home. And I had my headset on, and you know there was a little bit of noise in the auditorium, but um, frankly, it was not as echoey as you'd think. Pretty pretty big auditorium, and. Um, you know, the, I don't know. It's just whatever was on whatever the walls are made of. I don't know. Um, but it, it was not as quite as echoey as you would expect. So um, maybe it's because I had a headset on and I couldn't hear it. And maybe people walked in from 300 feet away on the other side. Like, what the hell are these guys doing? I don't know. Uh, but I, I, I paid no attention to that at all. I just you're in the moment. You do your job and let it rip. How do you think it turned out? Uh, nobody said, wow, that was a terrible idea. You don't ever do that again. <laughs> so I think it was fine. Um, you know, the production crew that I worked with, I, I and like in full transparency here, I, I've done probably 60, something in that ballpark, 60 or 70 remotes. Uh, cause I do a lot of remote productions for the United soccer league and for the national women's soccer league in the summertime. Um, so it really wasn't that abnormal to me. You know, I had a multi-view in front of me, so it's a big television, and I had program and preview in the top corners, and then I had eight smaller boxes underneath with all of our other different cameras and uh, and our replays. So, I, I mean, I was basically looking at the same kind of screen, on a, albeit a separate monitor, um, from what our production crew was looking at. So I, I thought it went fine. What's next for Brendan Gulick? Next, immediately, uh, I've got... A lot going on in the month of March. Uh, this is easily my busiest time of year because it's full-on crossover season from basically mid-February until um, probably the first week or so of April. Most of my baseball and softball stuff is not going to start till April. So, yeah, it's it's a busy time of year. There's a lot going on, and I drink a lot of tea and a lot of Hall's cough drops. <laughs> uh, in terms of, like, longer-term stuff. Yeah, I've got more soccer work coming up this summer, and um, I'm looking forward to uh, World Team Tennis in July. I've got a, a week's worth of tennis uh, in New York City coming up in July, and that'll be uh, that'll be fun. Um, so those are kind of the, the things that are sort of a little more long term. And and the goal is, you know, I'd like to do network television. Um, so I'm I'm, you know, like a lot of other people, trying to figure out how to get your foot in the door somewhere and, you know, keep on calling as many games you can and keep grinding away and, and being ready for whatever that opportunity prevents it or presents itself. Um, so that's sort of where, where my, my head and my heart are. Give us a couple broadcast horror stories. I ask them from just about everybody and whether that's, you know, something going horribly wrong with your equipment or just a really unusual broadcast position or anything else that could have happened as you're traveling all over God knows where uh, to cover games. Give us a couple of your fun stories besides doing a game 
at an auditorium? Uh, in terms of horror stories, <laughs> the one that most immediately comes to mind um, was in Oklahoma. Uh, I was I was in the football season. It was fairly late in football season, and we were going to Arkansas Monticello. Um, so the Great American Conference is uh, schools only in Arkansas and in um, Oklahoma. And I remember taking my boss's truck uh, and I was with one other guy, the, the sports director from the station. Um, Jim Reagan's a, a great dude. Um, and Jim and I were, you know, driving to Monticello, Arkansas on a Saturday morning before, uh, before an afternoon football game couple hour drive and didn't have time to check into a hotel or anything before we got there. So we just went right to the, to the game. Uh, we were playing the, the bowl weevils, by the way, the, the mascot names in that league are unbelievable. <laughs> the great American conference. I, I don't know all of the other leagues enough by heart, but man, I'd put the mascots in the great American conference up against anybody. <laughs> Wouldn't it be unbelievable? Yeah, it would be. That's that's. <laughs> I stole that from a, a previous podcast with Matt Park. He said he used that when he did uh, some minor league baseball team called the Bull Weevils. Anyway, continue. <laughs> that's pretty funny. Um, so, anyways, we you know we we roll into the stadium and we do the game and pack everything up after the game and and you know as you'd imagine these are really tiny schools and so the you know the press facilities are small. Um, we pretty much call that game from a shed on top of a, on top of a bleachers. And I remember after the game, we were driving to, I don't know, it was like the holiday Inn or something to that effect. And there was this one main drag in town that, um, the hotel was on and there were some other shops and things. I think the football game kicked off at something like two or three o'clock. Uh, and so it was, uh, it wasn't late, but it was early evening when we were done. And I remember checking into the hotel and I, I was tired and said something to the effect, uh, to the, to the hotel lady. It's like, you know, Hey, where can we go get a burger and a beer around here? And she looks at me and she goes, well, sir, this is a dry County. And I went, what, wait, what? <laughs> I, I grew up in Cleveland and you know, I don't know if I've ever been to a dry County. And she's like, yeah, yeah, if you follow this road and do this and this and this, you can go out of town in about 15 minutes and you can go find a beer. <laughs> and I was like, where am I? <laughs> I will never forget that day. Uh, if only simply because it was just so different to me. Um, that, that, to me, that was like the epitome of, you know, you're, uh, you're in the sticks, boy. <laughs> Who are your favorite broadcasters to listen to if for whatever reason you have the TV or radio on and you're not doing your own game? Favorite broadcasters to listen to. Besides um, the Say the Damn Score podcast with Logan Anderson. Yeah, yeah. Say the Damn Score podcast with Logan Anderson. Um, on national TV, I mean, I, I, I think Jim Nance is the best national TV play-by-play guy. In my opinion, part of the reason why Tony Romo is so good is because Jim Nance is so good and knows how to get the best out of Tony. I, I think Jim's terrific. You know, there's a number of national guys I really like listening to. I, I think Kevin Harlan is is as good as 
anybody I've ever heard on radio. Doc Emmerich, I don't watch a lot of hockey, but if Doc's on, I'll pay attention to it for a few minutes because I find Doc to be quite talented. You know, if it's baseball games, um, boy, it's hard to beat Johnny Miller. I think Johnny Miller's just un- unbelievable storyteller. Uh, the the voice, the drama, he, he really um, – he makes you feel like it's old time radio. It's 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 pretty cool. Um, up your way, Corey Provis is darn good. Corey's really really good. Um, you know, locally in Cleveland, we're we're fortunate to have some good play by play guys uh, in in several different sports. I mean, Jim Donovan's been with the Browns since '99, and I think Jim is as excitable as anybody in the NFL. Um, you know, Tom Hamilton was the voice of my childhood, and and I love listening to summer nights on the Indians, uh, Indians radio. Um, and Tim Elkhorn, who is the new play by play voice, the Cavs on radio is a friend and he's been a friend for a while. Um, and, and I think, I think Tim's really good. Um, Tim has a very old time radio basketball play by play type call. Uh, it's, it's what basketball should sound like on the radio. Um, yeah, I mean those are those are kind of my favorites locally and nationally. You know, I I really like Dan Hicks. Um, if we're talking about sports that you know maybe you're not football, basketball, baseball, I think Dan's terrific on swimming and on golf. I find Terry Gannon to be pretty darn good. Um, I watch a lot of golf, so I, I pay a lot of attention to those guys. Yeah, those are those are some of my favorites for sure. All right, well you're starting to yawn, so. That must mean that I've kept you too long. But, uh, That's if a lie. It, I'm not yawning. If anybody wanted to reach out to you, how would they do so? Uh, I'm on Twitter, Brendan Gulick 22 uh, That's a good way to get a hold of me. If, uh, if somebody wants to shoot me an email, um, brendan.gulick at yahoo.com is just fine. Um, yeah, I, you know, I'm, like everybody else in life these days, my phone is pretty much always attached, so... Uh, uh, it's pretty easy to get a hold of me that way. I try not to hide. <laughs> well, that's going to do it for the Say the Damn Score podcast. Once again, we're visiting with Brendan Gulick, gun for hire in the Cleveland, Ohio area. And Brendan, thanks for taking some time to come on. Hey, Say the Damn Score, okay? I'll try. All right. Thanks, buddy. Thanks for listening to the Say the Damn Score podcast. Remember to subscribe to the show on the platform of your choice by clicking the big red subscribe button at the top of saythedamnscore.com. Also, please follow me on the social media outlet of your choice. And remember, iTunes reviews, emails, or any other kind of honest feedback is always greatly appreciated and helps me make the show better. Finally, please reach out to the guests of the show so they know you appreciate them sharing their stories on the podcast. As always, I'm Logan Anderson, and the next time you're on the air, make sure to say the damn score just a little bit more.